0: you can't really help unless you get into the mess of the relationship. You can't actually do any sort of kingdom work without viewing the other as an image bearer. So when you see the image of God in the other, then you can engage in a way that glorifies God and is sustainable.
1: Well, ladies, here we are again to be able to have a conversation. Uh, We're so grateful that we have this podcast, GLOW, uh, which is a podcast from the Gospel Coalition Podcast Network. Um, We're for women right? We live in different places, um, and yet we have the same goal, which is to glorify Jesus Christ and tell about what he's doing in our lives and ministries and what he's doing around the world. And so today, we're actually going to be talking about comforting the poor. My name is Blair Lynn. I'm joined by Aisha De DeLopez, Jen Park, and Sharon Dickens, who's going to be leading our discussion today. So we're grateful to be here. Um, I'm not sure she should let me loose on the mic. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I've got to try my best to read myself in. Um, I, When we were thinking about comforting the poor, it was one of the few sessions that I thought, I, this is what I'm passionate about. Um, but what I'm passionate about is, the more I thought about it, is I'm passionate about us comforting the poor well. Um, and this is what I would really love us to think about um, today. But to, to sort of give you a bit of background um, I was thinking that I, um, the best way to understand my passion is to explain it and so when I was first saved um, I worked for, I think you guys call it a non-profit um, so I was a new, new believer, I worked for a couple of nonprofits, some Christian, some not but always around um, people who were experiencing um, homelessness and I've done that most of my adult life um, and we, you I think the trouble is that all too often um, I think we'd served without thinking it through. Um, And so I've I've done it in a variety of ways, people that are homeless and on the street, people that are in um, day centres, night shelters, all those things. And then um, fast forward um, all sorts of years um, and we come to our church and as a staff team I'm on staff now and my job is to think about community work. And our pastor um, has us looking through on a weekly basis books. And so we've gone through this one book called When Helping Hearts. And I'm reading it and I'm raging. But I'm raging at myself. So the more I'm reading it, the more I realise and start to question um everything that had gone before, the way that we've been caring for and helping those that were experiencing homelessness. I mean even the the fact that it wasn't thought through, I mean, not once did I and to my shame, not once did I think when one of these guys gets saved, how do we bring them through discipleship to the point where they could be a potential leader in the church? And so we read this book. It's it's a great book and it started to get me to rethink everything that I'd I'd thought about how we serve, how we care for, how we're expected to. And most of all, how we do it without hurting people around us. And so my intention was all those years, and I mean, you pat yourself on the back, um, even though we we say we don't, the reality is it makes us feel good. But all those years you're thinking through, and and not once had I asked, is my my help hurting them? I mean, is it? with all intentions, you'd gone to... Um, serve to care uh, to alleviate and actually in some ways shape or forms you could have made it worse and so in this this one in this book and i actively encourage you guys out there to to read it it's such a good book and particularly the first couple of chapters we'll put the stuff in the in the, the bio at the end um it talks about how um all our relationships are broken so it uses god and um, self others and creation and in that realisation of how sin has impacted that, it made me realise that all of us are poor in some way, shape or form. Some of us, it might be money, and it might be like material things, but others are poor in their relationship with God and with each other, with families. So you could be the richest man on the planet, but you could be poor in the relationships you've got. Or you could be the the and destitute in uh, material circumstances, but you're rich in your relationship with God. And so it made us made me realise that actually we weren't serving in brackets the poor because we were all poor. And it takes me back to that conversation that we had a couple of podcasts ago about how we show hospitality. And so that's what I want to think through. But because it's a massive subject, like who is the poor? Um, or, in fact, I don't even like saying the poor. But who is, like, we're going to focus on just the material um side of poverty and as we start to explore some of these questions and so because we're from different areas um and poverty looks like different things for all of us i just wondered ladies in your area what does uh, material or economic poverty actually look like so how about you aisha
0: yeah i think i represent uh in this table part of the poorest of the poor in some ways um My uh, country has just staggering status uh, of below the line of poverty and malnutrition in children. Um, And the way I could describe it to you without much research is a family may live in a, you know, tiny, tiny, tiny one-bedroom apartment you know, six people in the same, uh, space, no floor, no plumbing, no, um, no heat, no, even windows sometimes. Um, so no running water, uh, no electricity. And so you can imagine how it might be for a family to raise six kids in a, in a, in a place like that. And, um so so much just unravels based on just that description, that situation. Um, some families have uh, difficulty putting one meal at, at in the table for one day. So um, that's all we' we're, we're looking at when we think about uh, material poverty.
2: And how about um, some of the way that we you see churches engage with that and the way that they do, mercy ministry or care to or service all of those that are deprived.
0: Yeah. In general, um, I think the approach is very superficial and very paternalistic, I would say. Uh, we They aim at doing good, at relieving something, especially around Christmas time, around Children's Day, they approach the communities not in a very profound way, not in a very sustainable way or even respectful way, I would say. This book mentions, you know, it's basically the savior complex. So you go in there and you think we are, you know, making, paying them so uh, a favor. (laughs) And so um, it's a very uh, vicious cycle. And there are even ministries working in very uh, deprived areas, the dumpster areas, And I don't think it's the best model. They've been there for a long time. They do a lot of good. It's a hard topic. Um, And I I just don't see it being the most helpful ways of approaching help. It's not helpful.
2: I think that the the, the trouble is that when we start to have this conversation, it can sound like that when we're having the hard conversation that what you are is against Mercy Ministry, but it's not what we're seeing what i hope we're saying by the end of it is actually we're for serving those around us but we would rather you served well and thoughtfully think it through so blair yesterday we were talking about or in the last podcast we were talking about um the american dream like you guys have got all oh we think you've got all and that's what television tells us um so what is what is deprivation and poverty look like um in your area and then what are some of the ways that, either good or or, or or not, that you've seen Christians engage with that?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's helpful to kind of break down like two categories so you have like absolute poverty um, which is severe deprivation so basic human needs are not met food water shelter um, you know it, education and then you also have a relative poverty that's what that so that is more you know when we look in the United States you have a poverty line or a po- poverty threshold you know so um, you know for a family of four for example it would be about twenty seven thousand dollars a year. Um, And if you're making below that, the government basically says that you're not able to sustain yourself with all of the things that you need in order to, to live. Now in the United States, there are 37.9 million Americans who, who do not meet that threshold line. Um, And that's about 12% of the population and 12 million of those people are children. And so, um, and, and where I live, so I'm now in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, uh, the rate actually is double. So Philly's poverty rate is 23%, um, you know, which is, it's, it's double, uh, than the U S average. And so, you know, what we do, um, at least at our church, I would say, um, I think that we do a really good job of, uh, of having mercy ministry. (laughs) I've been in churches where they'll just kind of pay a bill, you know, kind of throw money at the person and not really address uh, what is the issue kind of underlining the reason why you're in this situation. And um, our church tries to do a, a, a a good job of when someone comes from the community and says, you know, I have this need, I need this bill paid. I imagine there'll be a sense of discernment to say, should we just automatically pay that bill? But the main goal is to try to pull them into the community of the church to say like, there's benefits <laughs> to the local church. Not that you attend the local church, you know, to get money or to get your bills paid. But like, if you're a part of this community and, and you need the community, which I think is what is the emphasis in the book when helping hurts, which is so helpful that like, you need to be restored to God. You need to be restored to, you know, maybe your family, family? What is your relationship like with yourself? Like what's going on? And um, I think that that often does not get addressed. And one of the things that's interesting is when you think about homelessness, um, I went through homelessness, uh, being raised by a single mom. There were times where we had to live in a shelter when I was coming up. And often there is a breakdown in relationships that people don't Consider the reason that a lot of times people are homeless is they have no one else to turn to. So, you know, you don't have family that you can call or maybe your family is just as impoverished as you are. Um, and, And a lot of the reasons why some people do make it is because they have someone that they can call. Uh, They can call their parents. They can call, you know, and say, look, I'm struggling. Can you help me out? And so I think restoring relationship is really important. We also have a benevolence fund. um, And even over COVID, our church just expanded that fund to care primarily for the members of the church, but they do consider those from the community as well. Um, So I've actually been encouraged by what I see our church doing. Again, we have a small church. It's about 60 to 70 members. But I think our benevolence fund is about $10,000, you know, this past year. So we're really seeking to be generous and, and um, you know, show the love of Christ uh, through mercy ministry in that way. Yeah.
3: Um, for me, um, I mean, I live in one of the richest counties in mm, the whole oh, country yes. in Northern Virginia. And so obviously poverty looks different as well. Um, and I think the national percentage for children in the poverty line is around 16 percent but in our county it's about eight percent so about eight percent of children under 18 fall below the poverty line and so it's one of those things where if you you could easily go about your life without ever witnessing it and so I think um, it's really up to the churches to be very aware of the fact that no there actually are people with very real needs in the community and I think mercy ministry is something that our church in particular, and I think other churches in our area made up of mostly, you know, middle, middle, upper class families. I think it's a continual struggle of how do we do this well, right? Because even for my own church, I think in the past we've been very project based seasonal-based. We do giving campaigns, and it's easy for people to give and kind of forget. But we've been moving towards more of a long-term sustainable model where we partner um, with a local school. So in America, we have schools that are considered Title I schools, which means a certain percentage of the students in that school qualify as low-income, and they depend on free or reduced lunches in the school, and that's how they measure it. And so We've partnered with a Title I school that's actually only like 10 minutes away from our church. Um, And how it happened is during the pandemic, all the kids who depended on the school for breakfast and lunch were no longer getting meals. And so what we started doing is providing lunches for those families who would normally depend on the schools for their regular meals. And through that, we started building a relationship with the school. We started a tutoring program. We started like an after-school program. Um, and we've kept this relationship going. And a lot of the members of our church, they... I think through COVID, they had a, a bit of a, a awakening as well that um, this just giving once in a while is not sustainable. And we have to address the spiritual poverty as well, right? So and so, as we started doing these um, like lunches, more of our members showed up and started evangelizing, started praying, started asking the, uh, the people, families who were coming, especially the mothers who were coming, how we could be praying for them, inviting them to our church, um, And so I see efforts being made in that way. I think our church and our area still has a long way to go. Um, And this is something that we talked about um, a few days ago, too. But, you know, the difference in some people may be called to be very generous with their resources. And I think our church has a lot of members who are very generous with their resources, but others are not. And how do we encourage some to give more with their time and energy? And how do we encourage others to be more generous with their resources? And I think that's a big conversation too, right? Like, how do you discern maybe where you're called to give and what areas of your
2: life? Actually, that's a great question. Yeah. How about answering it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's true. I mean, being a st- I mean God's given us all um, lots of gifts and some of us are blessed with, um, not me, lots of money and are amazing stewards of that. and. For many of us who are in full-time ministry, we have benefited from that and we are so grateful. But there are other times where we, God has given gifts of um, ways to serve. Um, and when it particularly comes to mercy ministry, I think a lot of Christians think it is, it's an, an easy way to serve because it's an action. But if it's an action without thought through... Um, It's not just about serving some soup and sandwiches. Um, There's actually more like you're saying, guys getting alongside and having conversations. So how do we encourage members in our congregation to step out their comfort zone and like serve in different ways or even question what their stewardship is?
3: I mean, I feel like, you know, um, Sharon, you always bring it back to discipleship. And I feel like that's kind of the heart of it, right? I think at the end of the day, our people have to be discipled to know... I. You know, um, Aisha always brings everything back to adoption. And I think it's similar here in that if we don't recognize our own poverty and what Christ has um, given to us so freely, I feel like at the core, if you don't understand that, it's not going to be an overflow. You're not going to have that natural desire to give and recognize, yeah.
1: And one of the things I wanted to say, too, I think, um, is knowing the needs in your community. Absolutely. So that means you have to be in your community. It's so easy to kind of put yourself in a Christian bubble, and and the only people that you're around are maybe even your church members. But what does it look like to engage the people around you? Um, You know, for example, there's a a woman shelter, woman and children shelter, just a few blocks from our church, Um, and we're able to partner with them. The women, because it is a Christian based or faith-based shelter, uh, they have to attend church, you know, so we have this partnership where, you know, the women will come, you know, to our church and we'll go there to the shelter and we will give a meal, but we've also taught classes, you know, on parenting or, you know, opportunities to share the gospel or do Bible study. And, um, it's just a great witnessing tool to be able to come alongside. And even some of those women have chosen to continue to attend our church and join our church, you know, so it's been really sweet. Um, but yeah, what does it look like? And I know it can be hard depending upon how far away you live from your church. Some people travel long distances. Um, but still like thinking through, okay, what's happening in the schools? I mean, your church has to be aware of what's going on in order to say, you know, in order for them to say, Sujin, like we're going to give money, um, you know, to support these children. So I think that is really important. It's just knowing what's actually happening. Who's here.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think, the uh, it's a blessing with with the, when the pastor's hearts are focused on real discipleship because you're not afraid for your people to expand and go outside of the walls of the church to actually be the hands and feet of Jesus because they're going to deepen their relationship with Jesus. Uh, you can't really help unless you get into the mess of the relationship, which is key here. When You, um, you can't uh, one another if you, if you see the other as inferior. So when you see the image of God in the other, then you can engage in a way that glorifies God and is sustainable. You can't, you can't actually do any sort of kingdom work without viewing the other as an image bearer. So that to me is key, and I'm so proud and so happy, so, so very grateful to God that our pastors in Iglesia Reforma have um, actually designated a portion of, you know, the payroll is for a team to be, you know, on staff, caring for the vulnerable. So we have a program that has invested in first doing the homework of doing, you know, Making good questions, asking good questions. What What is the need? Getting to know the neighbors. You know, so we're now doing uh, tutor tutoring some of the children, uh, investing in some families that are actually, uh, you know, doing the work with the kids. And so we're into preventing a lot of this, uh, the separation that might happen. Um, and I am so grateful for that because, you know, the church knows that a lot of the, uh, um, you know, um, tithes and offerings uh, go toward uh, that kind of work. And, and I'm just uh, so glad because it it, it it does shine a light um, and it deepens our relationship with
2: Jesus. That's, that's true. Um, I think one of the things when we're doing any kind of ministry, mercy ministry, particularly with poverty, is that we get so wrapped up in what we're doing that if it's not working, we never question it. And so part of why I'm so passionate about this is mostly the mistakes that I made in the early days. Um, you know the, the. I mean, you're true. I try to hide the fact that discipleship's my actual true passion, but um, we all know, sure <laughs> <laughs> no, <yes. laughs> not hiding it well. <laughs> not not, not hiding it well. <laughs> not good. Um, but the 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 reality is that w- there was this one woman that I was really trying to get a- alongside in our community, and I'd come at it from a worker perspective because I'd been in that sort of area for such a long time and the dynamic in our relationship was like you were talking about Aisha was unbalanced and so she saw me as the side the the service provider like if we're going out for a cup of tea I'm paying she'd be like when are we when are you taking me for breakfast I mean all those things um and I learned really quickly that what that done is that closed my so I served her um but I was only serving her physical needs that the door because of the relationship dynamic had been closed to proper deep evangelical conversation so it was hard to talk about the gospel when all she really thought about was me meeting her needs and so changing that dynamic um was hard you can't it's hard to turn the tide once you've, you've gone in that direction but making sure that I thought through what I did so simple things so the next time I engaged with women I drove them to the food pantry instead of giving them food they both receive, so everything that needs to be done physically is done, but my relationship is intact. And so I'm still seen as their, their friend, the one that they're hanging out with, the one who is sharing life with them and has the right, because we're friends, to talk about the deep, heavy stuff and share the gospel with them. And so those simple things,
1: thinking through, but to get to that point, we need to admit there's mistakes first. It's interesting because what you're doing is you're restoring their dignity mm-hmm. to some degree and like, you know, and even the dignity of work. Um, there's a, an article that was really wonderful on the Gospel Coalition called Why It's Better to Trade Than to Give uh, by Justin Lonas And, you know, he talks about that, you know, and yes, there will be certain circumstances where, you know, we'll just need to give, you know, an imme- or meet an immediate need. Um, but what does it look like to actually encourage someone and help them, um, you know, to learn the value and the dignity of work. And, you know, he talked about like the gleaning laws, like we talked about, and how, you know, the Israelites were to leave that seed and leave their land and, and allowing those who had need to be able to go, but they had to glean, they had to pick that. Whatever the crop was, Um, and he, you know, in the article he talks about how there's been a reduction in global poverty since 1990, and it's due to trades. And you know, we've maybe all bought something that's fair trade, you know. So let's say in Nairobi, you know, where women in that country or women in Kenya might, you know, you know, create jewelry or baskets or, you know, or maybe coffee, you know, and and that be used as a way to provide jobs for them uh, and income for them. And and it, it restores the dignity of work. And so I just think it's a beautiful testament to think so. it. It's also
2: a massive opportunity for us as Christians to buy sustainably and think through why we're shopping. I mean, we spent time over breakfast talking about this, um, but just that, like, let's even the simplest things think through what we're doing um I want to do big picture stuff just as we sort of come into land and change the the conversation a little bit so in your context what kind of other like types of poverty have you seen so in Scotland we were talking over this over breakfast as well I was sharing it with you and you guys are like oh you should share this um, so I'm going a bit in Scotland. We noticed that actually one of the biggest um thing for young women was period poverty. So some of our women just didn't have access to, and so over a couple of years there was um, people camp campaigned against it. And now in Scotland, uh, women all women can access any any hygiene products. Uh, feminine hygiene products free and so there's even like little sayings you can go into the supermarket and go I can't remember what it is uh, but I'll just make it up now so you can go over to like customer services and say oh Mary sent me and she'll give you a little bag of everything that you need but it's that thought of one simple thing um, that was preventing girls from going to school preventing them from getting education preventing them from participating in in, with their friends in life because they just didn't have anything so they stayed home Um, and ashamed also To deal with it, like one massive thing, but one tiny thought can make a difference. So, how about you guys? What about in your context? So, Sujin, what about you? Have you seen other types of poverty?
3: Yeah, I thought a little bit about this question um, when we were having the conversation, and I was trying to think, um, you know, am I thinking of my. Virginia context, am I thinking of, like, my Korean-American community? Um, and I, I, when I think about the just Asian-American community in general, um, I think there's a lot of actually uh, material wealth that's there. I think a lot of Asian-Americans have, you know, gotten, achieved that American dream, have done well for themselves. But I see a lot of relational poverty. I think that cultural divide between the generations is so deep Um, that there's so many families that are, even though they're intact, they're not actually together. They're very fractured. Um, There's, it's almost like a running joke that, um, you know, second generation Korean Americans, you never grew up hearing your parents tell you you, that they love you. Mm -hmm. It's it's just like a common thing. And so I do think there's a lot of relational poverty there that's caused by language barrier, cultural barriers. um, That's, present in a lot of immigrant homes,
2: I think, not even just Asian American, and so. What kind of impact does that have on a family then?
3: Yeah, I mean, so many, as you could uh, um, think of. I think it's almost as if, um, you know, I know a lot of families that are, again, intact legally, (laughs) but they're not together emotionally, spiritually in that manner. And so I think there are a lot of um, emotionally orphaned friends I have who have never really had close relationships with their families their parents even though they have they have lived with their parents um and there's so many people that i think going through their 20s and 30s as they have children and they get married they have to go through so much healing themselves and so yeah i mean it's again it's almost like a running joke in our culture right um You'll, you'll hear about like, you just never grew up hearing your parents tell you you love you. And it, and it's, it's just like a widely known thing. And so, yeah, I think there's a lot of um, relational baggage that's still to be
2: healed within my community in that sense. That sounds like it could be quite lonely and isolating
1: for a lot of people.
2: Yeah,
3: it, I think it is. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, What about you Blair? Yeah I actually was going to also say relational poverty Um, and I'm just kind of thinking more generally speaking um, in the United States you know overall when you compare it to other countries there is a lot of material wealth Um, but as it comes as it comes down to being able to actually have real connections with other people uh you know when i talk with even women that i'm discipling everyone is desiring more depth everyone's desiring you know um you know just genuine friendship and wanting to go deep and be known and um and it's i think maybe the pandemic also has kind of you know um cause that to even be much worse um but yeah just the sense of loneliness and isolation and and so people are are you know they're saying we desire this but it's like everyone's desiring the same thing but it's hard to bridge that relational gap and so yeah so that's what i see when i look around wow.
0: um i would be bringing back to something so basic uh I, I see Guatemalans, of course, have relational poverty as well. But I go back to the story of shoes. Um, um, oh. There's a surprise. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I have a friend. In context, for a, anyone
1: who's listening, well, yeah, why'd you say well, that? <laughs>
2: yeah. I, Aisha spent all her time tell, telling us about <laughs> our thrift store bargains, anyone, which happened to be $3 shoes. I know. Amazing.
0: I know. We have. Wonderful thrift shops in Guatemala, and I've been bragging on it. So, yes, yes, that's the context. I'm going to tell you a better story than that, though. Uh, one of my friends, I a, a brother, uh, lives in a very poor community, a, a ravine in my in my um, city, and he's a shoemaker. He's an ex gang member that learned how to make shoes, so he does. Um, and then how the Lord works things out. Another one of my friends who's Tita, uh, I've talked to you guys about her, um, during our times together here. Um, she has been working in that ravine for 25 years and she is just, uh, a ministry that I so much respect because she based it, bases it on relationships. So she visits and she knows the story of the people and, and she met, Uh, my friend Otto, Otto the shoemaker. And they um, just made an explosion because a lot of the children in the community didn't go to school simply because they didn't have shoes. And so they got together and by donations, she commissioned him to to make the shoes for so many of the kids around there Um, so they could go to school. So they have a good pair of shoes for the whole year and they can attend school. We don't even think about these things when you are in another reality, but that's a reality around my communities, the communities that are around me. Um, so many of the kids, and the, the lady that actually helps me at home, because in Guatemala it's not unusual for you to have a helper at home, and she tells me her stories. I love listening to her stories. I've learned so much from her. And she says she stopped attending school because she was ashamed that she didn't have shoes. And so, um, you know, that kind of um, awareness brings you to a very humble state of uh, just awe and, and thinking this is not hard to, you know, fulfill this need. And again, how do we do it without it being hurtful? But they got together,
2: and it just it was beautiful it it still is or embracing so I mean what was i mean that story is amazing and but what really sings out to me is the fact that she um engaged some someone within so someone within yes. the area, um exactly. so she fed into the service that he was providing so that he could then care for those that are around them.
0: That's the um, most wonderful part of the of the whole thing. The dynamic. Uh, he lives there, and he buys his materials from people that are around that area, and he still lives there. Like his home is better now because he has a better income, but he stayed there. And he still manufactures shoes, so I I love w- what the God what God does with people that are just aware of their surroundings and 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 willing to do something with what they have.
3: But I think that's just to piggyback off of that. I think I think one thing that um when I used to work in nonprofit, I saw a lot too with Christ- well-meaning Christians assuming that they're being innovative in bringing some new solution. And I think it's just so important for well-meaning Christians to remember, there's probably someone in that context who's already doing good work that's probably better off yes. than you are. And I think the best thing we can do as churches that have resources is to go walk alongside and ask how we can help them who are
1: already doing that work. I think yes. that's
3: so important. Amen.
1: Mm-hmm. There was one other um, poverty that I had in mind was spiritual poverty that we see in our country. And I think sometimes too when it comes to someone who is dealing with material poverty, we correlate that with spiritual poverty. We assume that because you're struggling or, you know, because you're dealing in this season of of poverty, that must mean that your relationship with the Lord is automatically broken. And the reality is, you might know the Lord more than I do. You know what I mean? Like you may love the Lord more than we do. Um and there's so much to learn, there's so much to grow. Yeah, so I think that's another element um, that's missing in our society. So we need the Lord more. For
3: sure. Yeah, well, thank you, Sharon, for leading us. I feel like I learned a lot today just sitting here and listening to you all. Um, so I'm gonna close out today's episode with our favorite shine time, Shining Our Light on the Differences. And so today's question is, what is your favorite place that you visited inside your own
2: country and why? Sharon, do you wanna start? Um, <laughs> I was thinking about this because there's so many places I mean I love the Isle of Harris um, just because it's bleak and I love Inverness because it's beautiful but I actually just went for the beach and so I live 20 minutes from the sea but um, the further east coast you go it's amazing and it's just, there's something about the roar of the sea that I, I really love about my, my country we are an island so pretty much within easy reach, there's always a piece of ocean. And so all the places that I think through, um, that I love are usually because they're next to the sea.
0: I have to say the sea as well. We have a beach about two and a half hours from the city without traffic. And we have black sand beaches because of the volcanoes. And some of the fondest memories I have of my father, my mom, um, as a kid, are at the beach and now with my kids too. It's just fantastic and I collect seashells. John Piper, forgive me. (laughs) I love them. (laughs) And so I have jars full of them and it's just so simple. It's so soothing and it just, you know, it heals you in
1: so many ways. It's
2: also a great place for kids to play. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. So I would say that's great. Um, I would say the place that I have visited that has, I guess, been most striking for me is the Grand Canyon. Um, yeah, I. Um, so my husband and I, after our honeymoon, we drove across country. And I remember he was driving, so I'm sitting in the passenger side, just looking at him, chatting away. And I am just, my breath is taken away because behind him, as he's driving, I see this canyon. And it's just it's hard to describe how beautiful, um how beautiful it is. Um, but it's, you know, two hundred and seventy seven miles long. So it's just massive, um, and gorgeous and breathtaking and and it just shows I think it it reminds me of how small I am, how grand the Lord is, how he's in control. So I would say the Grand Canyon.
3: I thought a lot about this question. I, I thought of maybe I'll do something like big that made me feel small but I realized something about myself as I was thinking about this question is I feel like I don't really have attachment to places and it's much more an attachment to people Um, so this is really cheesy but I thought of where is the one place I would just want to go right now and I feel like it's just my parents home that I grew up in (laughs) because they're they've been there for 20 years I feel like you know, when I was living there as a kid, all I wanted to do was grow up and leave the house. But now as an adult, all I want to do is go home and have <laughs> my mom's home cooked meal and feel like a kid, you know. And I feel like that's the place I feel safe and I feel welcomed. And um, yeah, I feel like for me, it's I, I've been to a lot of places in the U.S., but when I think of the one place I would want to be right now, it's probably just my parents' home. <laughs> I
2: think all of us as parents are sitting thinking, I wish my kids think like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's
1: great.
0: So we come to a close and we thank God for this time. So much uh, rich conversation and learning about each other and mostly about the work that the Lord is doing around the world and helping us, each, each of us in our little nook the world. So we just want to remind you, you are the light of the world. The city that is set upon a hill shall not be hidden. Neither do men light a candle and put it on a basket, but on a light stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We hope you join us next week for another episode of Glow. Blow is a part of the Gospel Coalition Podcast Network. To listen to more shows by TGC, visit tgc.org podcasts.